Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello! Hello! Welcome to the special pre-Shrove Tuesday Oh, I'm quite excited about Shrove Tuesday. You are, are you? Yeah. You're quite surprised, aren't you? I've sort of thrown you a googly. (laughs) You have thrown me a googly. I'm I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm quite a mean pancake maker. This is surprising to me. I know, it is surprising. I've made pancakes for my children for a number of years now, and generally to rave reviews there is a level of physical adeptness yeah. to tossing a pancake no the tossing the is really okay difficult. okay right, right uh no no the tossing is like you can just imagine i mean it's sort of you know it kind of kind of gets all mush mushed up and, <laughs> and it's sort of you know that it it's not really a pancake it's a sort of bit of kind of dough sort of you know fried dough i mean it's sort of no but 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 I, as long as I've got a sort of spatula and I can sort of just ease it over, uh-huh. um, generally, and and the, my children are quite understanding if it comes out sort of misshapen or whatever. Uh, I think I've been, it's been on the podcast before, but when we bought this new frying pan, things have improved tremendously. Um, it was it was a life changer. Like, well, it's definitely changer in the relation to the pancakes. And, well, I noticed it was a bit scratched the other day. I was kind of I nearly had nearly engaged in a domestic row because I'm quite careful about not scratching it. Um, <laughs> you want to be careful. Is it a non-stick? Yeah. You want to be careful about eating off a, a non-stick really? pan with a scratch in it. Yeah, really? I think, I think it, you know. Poisonous. I think a little bit, yeah. It's only a little scratch. Oh, it'll be fine. Is I mean, that, I don't know anything about frying pans. Is that pans, really but, a thing? I think it's a thing. Maybe I should make pancakes for you one day. Well, maybe you should. Maybe we should. We should make a, a video of how to make pancakes, the Miliband method. Good idea. Yeah, you're on. We could do it in one of your two kitchens. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> uh, that's a good idea. No, so I, I'm I, I'm an enthusiast for Strove Tuesday. I am. Um, 
I was going to mention our walking episode from a couple of weeks yeah. ago. I, I have still been obsessively walking since then. The other day, I was looking at my phone, and I'd got up to over 25,000 steps in a day, and I was aiming for 30,000. Then guess what happened? I don't know. The battery on my phone went flat. Yeah, I think you sent it to me. I mean, I So I just got on the bus and came home, because it doesn't count if your phone isn't counting yeah. yet. I mean, there's quite a lot of humble brag, or not so humble brag, going on. Look, I don't have a lot to brag about in life generally. Well, I already felt sort of outdone by you. Uh, when it came to the walking. And now you've sort of outdone me further. But there aren't many areas in my life where my accomplishments better yours, though. Are you? Can you not just let me have that? Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. I can. You're so competitive. I can. Uh, should, we, should, we, should we move on to what we're talking about this week? Well, this week, Jeff, we're talking about masculinity. We're going to be exploring society's expectations of men and masculinity. And we're talking to organisations which are trying to reshape expectations of men and promoting positive expressions of masculinity i mean this has got really obviously broad relevance to everybody but it's also you know got particular there's a particular aspect to this which is that men are responsible for more than three quarters of violent crime and make up 95 percent of the prison population men are three times as likely to die by suicide than women and suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45 we need to be talking about these issues and we're going to be speaking to iman amrani a guardian journalist who's made a great video series exploring some of these themes and ben hurst who runs workshops for men with a group called the good lad initiative and then we're talking to Nathan Roberts from A Band of Brothers, a, a charity providing positive role models for men involved in the criminal justice system. And they're trying to sort of reinvent the kind of, I guess, this sort of initiation rights for men. I mean, that sounds a bit off-putting, but I think that's what their weekends and their And it's quite mysterious, about. isn't it? It's quite they, mysterious they, de- yeah. deliberately because I think, you know, their theory is if they told people in advance what these weekends involve, lots of people wouldn't go. And so I think they keep it a bit mysterious, but it's a really interesting conversation with him. And I think that the whole episode is going to be an interesting one because talking about men's issues in a way that doesn't feel like it belongs to the so-called men's rights activists, the like Piers Morgans yeah. of this world, the people who say, why, why isn't there an International Men's Day? There is. Um, have you seen Richard Herring every year on International Women's Day? He searches Twitter for people saying, so why isn't there a men's day? He just replies to them, there is, and then gives them the date of it. Like thousands of that. And he, he raises money for a woman's charity as well in the process. It's an incredible thing. But yeah, the, 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 you know, this, this conversation often is hijacked by the Piers Morgan. We need to, and Jordan we need to reclaim International yeah. Men's Day. I mean, I think there is a start. People are starting to do that, aren't yeah. they? It's the 19th of November, by the way. What's your reason to be cheerful? My reason to be cheerful is that you better bear with me here that when i was um a child my father used to tell me a story about two sheep who lived on the yorkshire moors called boo boo and he he um and uh i love the stories that he used to tell me and there were the sort of big giant and a some kind of guy called Jonathan Pillowcase. And anyway, it was quite a sort of brilliant story. And I used to love the stories. And I've been telling my kids this story as well. Is um, it from a book or is it? Have you no, just invention? made it up. We lived in Leeds when I was between the age of three and seven. Yeah. Three and seven. And so it was sort of the Yorkshire Moors and all that. So I've told, been told, telling this story to my kids since um, they were young and they really liked the story. And it's kind of become sort of embroidered and there's quite a lot sort of, to it anyway i've sort of got to the stage where i'm thinking 
oh god they're gonna sort of like they're gonna they, they're they, they're kind of getting to the age where they're gonna be like we don't really want any boo boo and hee hee tonight thanks very much um we're too busy sort of you know i don't know whatever uh anyway well not only is boo boo and hee sort of it was it was sort of in abeyance for a bit it seems to have been resurrected but also my dad once my dad was a writer of books about sort of politics and you know class and society but he once started writing a book of this anyway and i found my kids at the computer the other morning and they were starting to write the book so there you go so it's 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 like a, a passing down the generation from one generation yeah. to the next yeah wow i think this should be shared with the world definitely it's good. That's, that's so exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Maybe you could so, record as a special episode where you tell us the story of Boo Boo and Hee Hee. Maybe. Could be a bonus episode. Yeah, because sometimes like, I'll, if, if Sarah's away, I can't sleep and I try and find a podcast that has a soporific quality to it. Yeah. That could be a big market. Yeah. In this. I mean, not that, you know, it would have wanted Boo Boo and Hee Hee commercialised. The in chief that way. magician is called Amanda Chairleg. Right. She, she's the sort of, she's a kind of big. Kind of <laughs> what character. I love is we're really seeing your dad's brain at work as he, as he looks around the room. Well, no, mine, thinks, uh, Amanda Chairleg is mine, actually. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. 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 Uh, she's, she's a sort of, she's in the kind of sequel, you know. Right. My sequel. Right. Anyway, so that's my reason to be cheerful. What's yours? Mine was a t- uh, I took my son to get his feet measured at Clark's shoes. Right. And I just got this Proustian rush. What a great thing to do. Do you not remember going and having your feet measured as a kid? Was this not a, do you not have fond memories of having your feet measured? Mm, really? really? Maybe yeah. it's just me then. But I loved seeing them get that contraption out. I really wanted them to do me, but I think it might have been... Well, I always find going to buy them shoes a absolute pain in the arse, to be honest. Oh, really? <laughs> I quite like just getting to see the foot measuring machine as well. Do you? You like yeah, the foot measuring yeah, machine? Yeah, I do. Although I, I, I wear set size eight shoes. Right. But I think my feet are actually substantially smaller than that. Right. I think they're just very, very wide, like a hobbit's foot. Mm. I could, have quite flat feet, actually. Would you put a character called Jeff Hobbitfoot into he, he and Boo Boo? Boo Boo, definitely. Does it have to be that way around? Definitely. <laughs> You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We have with us now in the attic Iman Amrani, who is Guardian journalist and host of the Modern Masculinity video series, and Ben Hurst, who is head of facilitation and training at the Good Lad Initiative. Hello, both. Hi. Hey, hello. Hey, hey. We start with you, Iman. Can you tell us about the inspiration for the Modern Masculinity series and 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 the question that you start with, which is: Is masculinity in crisis? Um, well, yeah, I started working at The Guardian about six years ago, and most of the stories that I did were around terrorism, knife crime, football, uh, and areas of culture which were dominated by men. Um, and so I've always been interested in those kinds of spaces. But I think something really happened after the Me Too movement, where I felt that loads of the conversation my friends were having, my guy friends, um, weren't actually happening in a public space or in the mainstream. And there were lots of really interesting questions to look into about how they were feeling. Um, and I thought that The Guardian would be quite a good platform that could be used to kind of explore some of those questions in a non-judgmental way. So I went off and started looking at things like the rise of Jordan Peterson and, uh, you know, male role models and spoke to loads of different men about what they see masculinity as being in the modern day. Give us your big sort of takeout conclusions about the crisis of masculinity, kind of what... Well, you know what? What? What's what's your sort of assessment? What What needs to happen? 
Um, I feel like when I've gone and looked at different areas around masculinity, I've gone to spaces where there are loads of men. Jordan Peterson's one of those things. Um, another place I went to was UFC. I went to New York and went to a fight at uh, Madison Square Garden. And um, This is cage fighting type thing. Yeah, they don't like to call it cage right. fighting, but it is in a cage. Yeah. Um, and so... <laughs> and it is fighting. <laughs> and it is fighting, yes. Um, and they call it the octagon. Right. Um, and so I, I went along to that and, you know, there's loads of working class people there and there are loads of immigrants there and the biggest fighters are, you know, Latinos. There's lots of black fighters as well. Um, and and that space has kind of been co-opted to some degree by the right. And Donald Trump turned up at the event that I was at. And I thought, this is so interesting. This is a space where there are all of these guys who you traditionally kind of associate as like voters on the left, you know. And, and these are people who are, you know, they should be engaging with, I guess, the ideas of, of the Democrat Party, if we're going yeah. to look at that. But actually, you know, Trump, had taken control of that space. And I was like, it's really interesting. I feel like the left don't know how to engage with these male-dominated spaces. The same thing, I did an episode about circumcision. And there's this whole movement trying to end circumcision for men. And they're called intactivists. And on the sharp end of that, you've got these kind of alt-right guys who use this fight against circumcision, against um, Jewish communities and Muslim communities. And I was like, I go into all these spaces that you know, we're talking about bodily autonomy if we're talking about circumcision. We're talking about, you know, um, working class people and immigrants if we're talking about UFC. And then we're talking about lost people looking for meaning. These are spaces that should be open to the left and for some reason the rights come in and just taken up that ground and I find that is one of the interesting things in the series that I find is that we don't know on the left how to talk about men in a sympathetic how way. How interesting, how interesting. Ben, tell us about the Good Lad initiative and and how you got involved in it and what, what it does. Okay, so um, Good Lad is an organisation that works, a gender equality organisation that works with men and boys, engaging them in conversations which are essentially deconstructing and reconstructing masculinity. So we work in schools, in universities, in corporate spaces and anywhere that anybody wants us to work. Um, and we basically just have conversations with men. Essentially, we give people space to explore what they think masculinity is, um, how they feel about it. On uh, university campuses. Yeah, so on university campuses, in schools, in corporate spaces. Right. And are you pushing, pushing is the wrong word, are you sort of modelling, uh, sort of showing people a, a particular version of masculinity? or No, so I, I, think, I think one of the things that's hard about this kind of work is that... Um, I think we problematise masculinity in a really unhelpful way sometimes. And I don't think the problem is actually with masculinity. I think the problem is with patriarchy and a system that prioritises men and gives men power. And that power will ultimately corrupt whatever you give it to, right? So masculinity as a social construct, um, arguably as a social construct, has evolved and changed over time. Um, and it evolves and changes wherever we are in the world or whatever time we're in, right? So if you go to... Um, like what, I think one of the things we talk about with masculinity is men's relationship to women. But if you look at men in an environment where there are no women, so you go to a prison, for example, masculinity can still be very harmful in that space, right? Because it's still about power and how that power is wielded and how we manipulate it and what we do with it. Um, so I think being prescriptive about masculinity isn't really the answer. Like giving, saying this version of masculinity is wrong and now we should all be like this is still going to be corrupted. If we tell men that they need to be kind and they need to be gentle, that will become manipulation, right? So I think it's about problematizing the system um, and being able to give people the lens to see what that is and how it operates and then allowing them to opt in or opt out of that where they feel it's necessary. 
I think that's a really good point to make, actually. That thing, when we talk, so it's often when we talk about masculinity, it's like there are, you know, two or three main scripts that you can mm-hmm. go on. And so when you talk about, I in the series never talk about toxic masculinity. I don't use the phrase partially because I think it's a bit of a term that, you know, uh, people that haven't been to university and aren't using kind of academic language right. around gender. It's just not, it's not how people speak. And it, it derails the conversation if you take it there. But also... I just feel like a lot of the time people are saying, okay, we've got this toxic masculinity and we need to pull it back and let men be vulnerable and in touch with their emotions. But it's almost like from one extreme to another. And there's no kind of middle ground where you can be like, okay, we want to break away from this really kind of rigid idea. And I feel like that was a big important thing with this series was, okay, let's go and talk to loads of different guys and have lots of different, um, you know, experiences and and, um, approaches to masculinity. But it's very difficult to get that anywhere because it just feels like even when you see I think that's why the Gillette advert did so badly last year because it was like you know so the Gillette advert that went out it came off the back of the whole Me Too movement and they were kind of trying to jump on that bandwagon and they did this whole thing of um, I think I think it was from the best man can get to the best man can be or something and it was all about (laughs) men standing up you know, for women, but it was very kind of performative and didn't feel very authentic and it felt quite... um, accusatory against like all all men and yeah. i was like that's not the best way of having this conversation because it puts people in a very defensive position it's like an us and them right. and good and bad and black and white and and i don't think you can approach masculinity like that just like you can't you can't approach women and, and femininity like that it's not one you know it's not, like i say it's not one size fits all um so i just i just feel like that is uh, a point that you've raised that mm. i i think very often we'd overlook we skip go, right and yeah. i think that what was interesting about the Gillette advert as well was that a lot of men were upset but it was a very specific demographic of men who were upset right it was very working class white males who were really pissed off about like by this advert like outraged um but masculinity and I think that was because the advert looked at that specific type of masculinity so it was looking at things like barbecuing it was looking at things like kids fighting in the garden and saying this is wrong we shouldn't be doing this as men but those things also look very different from community to community and from demographic to demographic, right? Masculinity for black men is very different to masculinity for South Asian men. Also very similar in lots of different ways. Um, masculinity for a disabled man is very different to mas- masculinity for an able-bodied man. Um, and, and it just continues. Like the more you put identity in the mix is the, I think that's probably the reason as an organization, we don't have a, a, like a hard line on what the conversation should be. And what comes out of the good light when, you know, Think about the before and after of the Good Lad initiative. When mm-hmm. people come in, how are they different after it, would you say? So I think what what we do is we start a conversation. I think when you're when you're doing that as a as a project, it's very hard to measure the outcomes. Yeah. Um but what we often see is people come in and leave thinking differently or mm. at least leave with the ability to critique, right? Which I think is a skill that the majority of us aren't really taught very well how to critically analyze any piece of information. Um, and so when you give people that space to do that, they're then able to think, ah, oh, I don't know if I actually like that thing or how is that, how is that, how is that perpetuated or where does that, why does that exist? Where does that come from? And once you give people the tools to do that, then they begin to make their own changes that they feel like they want to make. Just tying in with what you said earlier about leaving this, um, to the left and what not the left sorry leaving it to the right and what ben said about not having a model of this i mean maybe there's something in this isn't there which is sort of i don't i'm not going to express this very well but sort of 
the left and and sort of speaking to these issues yeah i think people just find it hard to find their footing in that because so much i think you know i i work at the guardian like i am on yeah. the left right and and i just think there's often these scripts that we have when it comes to looking at all these different areas when it comes to identity and politics yeah. and when it comes to men people find it hard because they they think that you've, you're either pro-men or pro-women. It's like a binary yeah. thing all the time, right? And you've got to say everything just the right way so people are scared to say anything. And that means it's really hard to have a conversation about men that's honest because sometimes things are going to get said that are uncomfortable because if you don't open that conversation up, you, you don't... I mean, Jay-Z said one time on an interview, what you, reveal, what you reveal, you heal, right? So when you have that conversation and you talk about something uncomfortable, really and honest, honestly, you can actually do something about it. And if you don't, someone will take that space from you and have a different conversation, which might have much more kind of scary effects. And just to push back, you know, given that there is this sort of, you don't use the phrase toxic masculinity, but there is this sort of dominant culture view of men are you know sort of macho aggressive and so on how do we change that without being judgmental one of the things that we do is when we open up these spaces we we work in men male only spaces right yeah. so people who identify as men can yeah. come into space have the conversation um and i think we we lay down some ground rules so we'll have yeah. we'll start a conversation by maybe exploring what comfort and discomfort yeah. look like and feel like in our bodies and how we talk about yeah. that in the space um and i think the thing that is hard is like you just said, like people feel policed in their language. They feel policed in what they are allowed to say and not allowed to say. They feel like there are right and wrong answers. And in some cases there are, like, in yeah. some cases there are objectively yeah. things that yeah. are correct and incorrect. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that people don't think the wrong thing, right? It doesn't mean that people don't think things that are harmful. Right. Um, and them not speaking about those things is not a helpful environment for them to be in. So I think a lot of that in, in my job is facilitating a space where people can be open and honest and we are genuinely exploring. I feel like a lot of that, when we use the word exploration, a lot of the time we're actually talking about teaching. So we're actually talking right. about telling people the correct answer in a way that feels like we're not telling them something. Um, but actually, I think it's about giving people space to problematize whatever it is that they want. Um, and I feel like when you present all of the options in that way, people will arrive more often than not, people will arrive at correct conclusions or healthy right. conclusions. Cause I don't think that the majority of men are out here trying to be horrible people right. or really want to like, like the statistics are bad, right? Like male suicide is the lead killer of men under 55 in the UK. So when you present someone with that as an, as a, an idea, most people will not want to opt into it. So most people automatically move into how do we change that? Um, but I think it's just about actually creating space for people to really grapple with those ideas. I mean, there's, there's an element to this, isn't there, that we, we sort of talk about these, these models of men as, as sort of, oppressing women which they do but they also oppress men mm. and maybe we need to talk and you know you mentioned the the issues of suicide mm -hmm. say something about that and and and, and your perspectives what is important here or the way that I would yeah. frame this message is that patriarchy as a construct is also shit for men. Yeah. Um it, it benefits yeah. men, right? Yeah. It is built to benefit men. So it does do that. Also very specific types of men. So if you are winning in the game of masculinity, then you will be benefiting majorly from patriarchy. But even when you benefit in that way, we still live within a system that means that 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 what what that benefit looks like is actually like a decreased life expectancy or it looks like 
you being suffering with mental health issues or being under too much stress or whatever. So if you are somebody who's able to climb up to the top and you get to be the CEO of the company, that's not a particularly desirable position for a man to be in, particularly when men are more likely to to engage in risk-taking behaviour, right? Or more likely to engage in substance abuse or whatever it might be. As the CEO of the Labour Party, I can definitely vouch for that. Right, Uh. right, right, right. Um, Uh. And and that's a good position to be in, right? You're you're winning in the game, but it's also not necessarily the the healthiest thing for you as an individual man um and so i think that is important and i think that conversation has to be held in tension with the reality of what that looks like for people who are not men um so at the same time as it being shit for men which it is it's also disproportionately bad for everyone else like other people are actually being oppressed right Yeah, yeah like women are being oppressed um so we can't have one conversation without having the other conversation but we can have both conversations at the same time um, and we can create space for both conversations at the same time, I think. I think it's also, I, I do agree with what you're saying, but I do think you can look at the masculinity thing in isolation. We kind of need to do that because every time I speak to people outside um, at work about what I'm doing, they do say to me, oh yeah, I've watched your series on toxic masculinity. And I'm like, it, I never use that word. Mm. So something's gone into your head where you hear the word masculinity and you think toxic. Is that right. bad though? Yeah, because, because, bad, yeah. because it means that you, before you've engaged with somebody or something, you've decided that it's toxic. The fact is that they put a word which is completely unrelated, which just goes to show that we have taken that on board and kind of without even really challenging it or thinking about it, we've absorbed it and we put it out there. And I think that if you're... But if if you're gonna if I, like if I say to have a conversation, you have to come to it open minded. Mm. If you're coming into it thinking it's already toxic, that's not open minded. There are some things. I'm sorry to sound like the sort of well, I'm not sorry, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean there are some things that aren't good, right? Yeah, and those things when we decide what they are and when we talk about them and give them a name, we can then call them toxic. And if we can't separate things and look at them critically for what they actually are, and we're just broadly thinking. You know, that's when you get the men saying, not all men. And I go, actually, that's a fair point now, because you've just been labelled. You could be doing the best you could. The men say what? Not all men. You know, not all men. It's like something gets said about men generally, and, oh, and that's a response. And it and it and it turns into this ridiculous argument on, especially on social media. And you'll have a guy jump in and aggressively be like, "Not all men." And I think actually, I can see why you're getting annoyed now, because no matter what you do, it might be really positive people end up coming to it and thinking that it's a bad thing because it's about men. And I think that if you're going to have a a conversation that's progressive and that's going to have solutions and is going to take you somewhere, you have to allow for there to be something positive in masculinity and that you don't automatically kind of taint it with that negative brush immediately because you just, like I say, these these are how you shut conversations. I mean, that is true, isn't it? But we are, our society is structured in a way that, okay, I mean, maybe it's not all men, but even the most, I don't know whether you like the word woke is the right phrase, this word to use here. Even the most woke men are operating in a very patriarchal society. Structure. Well, Structurally. I mean, okay, that I, I, I get that, right? And I actually think sometimes woke men are the worst men because they're actually being quite performative. They tell you they're a feminist, right. but they're actually trying to win points with women. And, and there's a lot going on there, right? I think that... I come from a background which is a very, very kind of machista background. Like right. my, my dad's Algerian, he's North African. I grew up in a, a Muslim community where girls and boys were separated at Islamic school. You know, we were treated very differently. And so I really, really believe in equality and I believe yeah. in kind of pushing sure. to have, have that, that kind of 
balance of power between men and women. And I think that whilst it's true that there, there are issues... My point is that it's one thing pointing them out, um, but it's another thing thinking, okay, so how can we solve that? And I think the approach is so important. I'm not denying that there are massive issues, but I just think in order to to have a conversation that's going to go anywhere, you have to come to it and be ready for there to be something positive as well. Ben? Yeah, I think, I guess... You only heal what you reveal. You only, you only hear what you reveal, and I'm no Jay Z. <laughs> well, don't say that about yourself. You've yeah. done a good job. Um, I think that there is probably something in here about masculinity. Like we don't in our work, we don't use the phrase toxic masculinity either. Um, and I, it was really interesting. I did a TED talk, and the responses in the comments, a lot of the responses to the TED talk were like, "Here's another soy boy talking about toxic masculinity." That's not part of the conversation that I'm trying to have, really. Um, and I think if anything, it's toxic again. It's patriarchy rather than masculinity. I do think when, in my experience, when I've been in rooms full of men and I've asked men to la- list or label things that are positive about masculinity, that's a really hard question to answer. Oh, I don't know. Like I, I do believe there are good things about what masculinity. What are the positive things about masculinity? Well, I think I think again, name one good thing each. Strength, I would say, is a good thing about masculinity, but strength is easily corrupted, right? So I think to have that conversation about positive masculinity, strength means what? I don't know. It could be mental right. strength. It could right. be physical strength. It could be dominance. It could be power. It could be whatever. Mm, um, but I think any of those things are not inherently bad things, right? Like they, they are necessary things to, to exist in the world. People need to be strong. It's a part of life. Um, that's very, very easily corrupted. But the problem for me is that is not corrupted by masculinity. It's not corrupted by men. It's corrupted by a system that says, this is what we value. And so for you to succeed, you need to be this thing and in our society men are the people that need to succeed we don't really need to worry about women in that way um and so i think it's hard then to have that conversation you want to add something these things can be applied to men and women but i would say also things like protection you know like i'm really conscious of how small i am and it's associated with me being a woman and there's things where i've been with guys and they've made me feel you know safer or there's been guys at work who've been really kind of um you know positive and just I can't really explain it you know in a in a family structure you'll look at like the uncles and you'll look at the aunties and they have slightly different roles and and I'd look at the uncles for some my uncles for some things and be like you know you you make me feel quite safe and I'd look at my aunties for other things and yeah it could cross over and they could decide they want to do different things but there's what something which is more associated with masculinity that is protection and there's something to you know associated kind of nurturing which is associated with femininity and i don't you can decide you want to have more or less of either one as a man or a woman but i don't think those are bad things i think we need more nurturing men though don't we and the issue here is probably that it's limiting right so there's exactly. there, there is something that says as a man you are supposed to be this thing and you are not supposed yeah, to be exactly. this thing. as a woman you're supposed to be this and you're not supposed to be that and actually there are loads of us who want to be both or want to be the opposite of what it is that people are telling us we're supposed to be um and i think that leads to a lot of issues also so I mean, I look, think my wife is very good at trying to get our boys to talk about their feelings mm. because but because i can tell i mean I'm not, look, i don't have daughters so i just don't know but i think it is much harder in the culture for boys to talk about their feelings, feel, you know, emotional. I, I, mean, I also nice? think that they need to have um, 
tools with which to do that and things like the more traditional things like sports um you know i work i actually went this week to football beyond borders um is a it's a football charity and i did an episode with them in the series and i worked with them a lot this week they had an event um and the whole thing they had loads of things about masculinity and and their young kids they use football which is seen as a very kind of masculine yeah. space and they they have these classroom sessions with the kids the kids come for the hour of football they get to play afterwards and in the classroom sessions they talk about role models they use the footballers and they kind of use that as a way of getting That's the kids good. to talk exactly it's so good what they do and they they use that as a way of getting in and but it's understanding how they think as you know there are girls there as well but it's mostly guys at the moment and understanding what gets the guys going what they're interested in and how to clock into that and then the kids don't even realize they're talking about their feelings because they're talking about football and so you know you have to kind of have an awareness and an understanding of how these young boys think and how they're conditioned and then be able to be kind of it's like a soft touch and i think that that's the way that you have this conversation i think when my son's old enough we're gonna have to be teaching him to talk about his feelings less just keep, <laughs> bottle them up a bit more. <laughs> Does he talk a lot about his feelings? I, I'm, no, I'm always talking about my... I think my wife would rather I didn't talk about my feelings so mm. much. I think she'd just save save the tears for something significant, you're, not, you're ma- not Mamma Mia too. You're a good advert for a positive, positive masculinity. I don't know. I, 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 I feel very inadequate when I think of myself in any way. Who no, do you think is... Who do you think you look at as a man and you think... Ed. No, don't do that. Oh, that was such a that was such a cop out. Go on. Who do you look at as a man and think like that's somebody that I really respect? I think it's such an interesting question to ask men. No one in the public in the public sphere. I don't think. I, I like I look at my 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 family. I look at the men in my family and I think, oh, there are. But I th- I feel like to respect someone in that way, you have to know them. I mean, yeah. It's a, I guess it's down to interpretation. Yeah. But who would you say then? In my your, dad your dad yeah my, and what do my you respect dad, about uncles. your dad well so my dad my dad's an interesting one because my dad in a lot of ways is the things that we talk about right or the things that i talk about at work so he's not emotionally literate he doesn't talk about his feelings ever i think i've seen him take three days off of work in his life off of sick um and he doesn't necessarily model a lot of those things but then i see um him being a provider and I see him being very, very nurturing or very caring when people are sick. He looks after people. He does cooking. He does cleaning. He does things around the house. He splits housework equally with my mom. And he does like, I, I feel like there are really good characteristics that I look at him and I think, oh, when I'm an adult or I'm an adult now, but I think uh, if I ever have a family and children, I would like to model some of those things. And then there are some things I'd like to change. I'm struggling. It's a hard question to answer. I'm really struggling. Wow. Are you struggling? No, I, can th- I can think of friends of mine. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm talking with a public figure. Yeah, I d- because I don't think of public figures in but that way. Because I only friend, know, like, you could say a friend and just say what it was that you respected about them. Even then, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. When you think of somebody, like, what are the things that you would say I respect them because I don't know? Is it because they're loyal, or is it because they are, you know, brave and they will stand up for what they believe in? Or but I've got a friend I'm thinking of who's, who's sort of very much like that. He, you know, he, he's really sort of principled and loyal and will speak up. But I've never particularly sort of thought about those things in terms of his masculinity. I would say it's not a cop. I would say Jeff. <laughs> why, why? because i think you're very generous sort of caring for other people you've got very very high eq you kind of you kind of very very quick to detect if people aren't very happy or upset or feeling worried about something those are really good reasons i, I like those reasons so so we're always looking to 
give people something to take away from the podcast like what what is something people can take away f- from this maybe go away and do or think about or even join in with one of the things that kind of sticks with me from this series was a guy called Neil who I spoke to in the second episode and he said that he had a value system that he believed in but he wasn't living in accordance with that and it wasn't until he kind of had a breakup and kind of came into this realization that he wasn't the man that he thought he should be um and that, at that point everything kind of changed for him and that really resonated with me and I just think there's something in thinking about who it is that you actually want to be and not feeling like that has to fit into a script that is set by somebody else or somebody else telling you who you should be and part of that's just surrounding yourself with really really good people that's what this series has done for me but i mean that is so important because there's so much pressure not to do that that is really important Mm. ben yeah i would say do you know there was an interesting thing when we were having this conversation just now about which men we look up to and respect i would hazard a guess at maybe men not being socialized to look up to other men and i don't know if that's i think when you're a child you look up to like footballers or whatever it might be athletes in particular yeah um but i don't know if we look at other men in terms of their characters and aspire to be that i think we look at them in terms of position and aspire to be where they are um so maybe that's a good thing to take away from the podcast is to go away and think about some men in your life particularly if you're a man who you look at and you respect and why you respect them um and i would say i think conversations are another really important part of this and um it it sounds like a bit of a cop-out but actually that is the space where transformation happens in my in my mind that's where you see things change you hear different opinions you're challenged you're stretched um and you're allowed to consider and imagine different things um and i think that's a, a big piece of this is allowing people the space to imagine things that are different than what we can see so i'd say have conversations about it uh talk to your fathers talk to your brothers talk to your sons talk to whoever wants to talk about it, talk to your friends um and and just see what happens see what comes out of the conversation when you reveal yeah you heal sorry i took you very good <laughs> he was like you go no you go ben and iman thank you so much for joining thank us you thank much. you very much selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is there to help you grow shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with shopify Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On the line now, we have Nathan Roberts, who is co-founder and chief executive of A Band of Brothers. Hello. Hello. Uh, do, do you want to start by telling us what A Band of Brothers is and uh, what, what is the story of how it came about? Yeah, I, I, if, we, if we go back in time and, and look at how communities used to organise themselves and how societies used to work, um, there, was, there was a time when the, the community of, would recognise that young men were starting to really get into their power and that there was a real need for those communities to ensure that those young men channeled that power into what we might now call pro-social means um, that would enable that power to be used by the community for the good of the community. And so communities invested a huge amount of resources in the men, older men of that community, taking those young men away on a rite of passage, on an initiatory process. The effectively formed a social contract and said to the young men, okay, if you want to call yourself a man around here, this is what it looks like. This is what it takes. This is what it means to be a man around here. And once you are a man around here, here's what you can count on from us. So there was this creation of an intergenerational contract between older and younger men. And when we were looking around as a group of men who were concerned about society and what we saw was going on, we believed that that intergenerational contract had been, had been lost. And so we stepped up as a, a bunch of men who were active, who'd done some men's work, who'd seen the power and experienced the power of a men's group, um, and decided that we would like to try and extend ourselves in service to a group of men in society that we saw were really struggling. And those were young men, often care leavers, who were in contact with the criminal justice system. Um, and we thought, what would it look like if we, if we tried to do something about that issue? And, and what, what did it look like? What did you try to do? Um, so we, we went out and we, we, we offered those young men the call to adventure. And we said, look, we are, we are here to offer you a space to really explore and investigate what type of man you want to be. Um, do, you, do, you, do you fancy that? Um, and the inevitable question came of, well, well what's going to happen? And we said, we're not going to tell you. Um, the, the only way to find out is to step in. And you do these weekends. Is that, it's mainly about these quest weekends. Is that right? That's right. So we... we when we when we sort of look back through through history, uh, some of the initiation rituals and rites that in times gone by are, are no longer appropriate. Um, uh, so in certain tribes, there would be a, the idea that you had to go off and kill a lion, and obviously we, we're quite short of lions in the UK. And you don't um, want to kill them probably, if you if you have some uh, anyway. Uh, and we wouldn't want to kill them. No. And, and there'd almost inevitably be uh, health and safety implications of, of that. So, um, <laughs> so what, we, what we did was construct a modern-day uh, mythopoetic ritual for, for, for these young men to take part in. So we give, give people the, the, the choice to cross a threshold 
to take a step into uh, a an altered kind of space. So no business as usual. That's the most important thing. No business as usual. Mobile phones go in a bag and you don't get them back from uh, until 3 p.m. on the on the Sunday. And we are spending time absolutely present with each person. We have two staff members for every one initiate, initiate to ensure that we are kind of holding an environment where that person doesn't need to think about anything other than their journey through life, how they've got to where they've got to, and where they would like to go um, and how they might get there. And what part of them might need to die in order to get them there, whether it's their pride, their arrogance, their stubbornness, um, some of their wounds, um, and their sense of victimhood. Um, all of this stuff is, is what we look at over the weekend. There's also a huge amount of, of emotional literacy uh, and emotional catharsis work. So we look at some of the emotions that are really difficult for men. So grief, anger, um, sadness, um, shame, and provide a space for men to really explore how they deal with that emotion, how they could deal with it differently. Can we talk about the before and after? So I'm interested to hear about how people react when you make this proposition to them and then move on to what what this, these weekends and this ritual does for people. Yeah, sure. So um, most of our referrals come from the probation service. So we'll meet young men um, who've been referred by, by their probation officer. Uh, and it would be fair to say that there is a, 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 a due degree of scepticism from the young men about anything, uh, let alone a, a bunch of weird middle-aged blokes saying, we're going to take you off to the woods and help you uh, discover what it would be to be a man. Um, it'd be fair to say that there is a fair, <laughs> fair amount of scepticism. But what we offer them is uh, not a kind of cognitive level uh, invitation, but we offer them a real kind of open-hearted, soul-level invitation and talk about what are some of the difficulties that perhaps we've experienced in life, some of the ways in which we've struggled to define uh, ourselves as men, some of the struggles that we may have had letting go of, of, of childhood trauma. Um, and that heart-level connection seems to really cut through um, a lot of the scepticism that they that they that they that they feel, um, and some of the men report that after a kind of one hour conversation with two of our people doing engagement, that they feel lighter. They feel a sense of 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 relief, um, and the fact that there's a group of men in society saying we recognise that we have failed you. Is it just a one off weekend, Nathan, or is it? more than that if only it was a one-off weekend ed if only that worked it would make life so much simpler but what what any of us know as men and as in and as humans is that making real deep personal change is really hard work and so once a man has done our weekend he then uh, enters into a 12 week long intensive mentoring cycle and what that looks like is that he has a, uh, a mentor who's drawn from his local community. All of the men of our community attend a, a weekly meeting 
And at that meeting, the whole the whole group gathers, and that can be up to 30, 35 men uh, in, uh, in, on some weeks. And that's a space to explore things such as how do we deal with conflict in a way that is productive? How do we uh, explore uh, exploring different themes such as relate intimate relationships, sexuality, um, how money, how to uh, deal with, with with our own inner saboteur, um, and so that's a twelve week long program. And at the end of that, there is a big celebration, and after that, they are with us for life. We we, we do not want to manage part of our community. He's part of our community. And how many people have been through the program, Nathan? Uh, so as it now, we've had 295 young men that we've worked with. And, and where does it go next? So we, we started in Brighton around about 10 years ago. And we then received quite a lot of demand from other locations within the UK saying, we, we really want to bring this here. And so since 10 years ago, starting in Brighton, we're now in Crawley, Eastbourne, Hastings, Cornwall, Oxford, Leamington, Bristol, um, and uh, several communities in, in, in London. And so anyone listening to this who wants to do it themselves could be, get in touch with you, could they? Absolutely. Contact us via the website, get involved um, and uh, and see what might be possible in your area. Uh, one, one challenge and one caveat that I would, I would just put on that is that we are currently uh, struggling to work out, uh, given austerity, given cuts, quite where sustainable funding for this type of intervention comes from. Um, and that's a huge challenge for us at the moment. And what's the impact been on reoffending of the 295 who've been through? Yeah, our, our last survey, we, we, we kind of did do a longitudinal survey of, of periodically tracking down uh, all of the men who've been through our program to measure over time what's the impact. Uh, and the last survey that we carried out found an 80% reduction in uh, severity and frequency of offending or else complete cessation. And Nathan Roberts, thank you so much. Those weekends sound fascinating. I think I'm looking at Ed's face and I think you want to do it. Well, I was actually about to say, am I going to send you on one? I think we should send you on one. It would have a higher impact. Do you think? You are both extraordinarily welcome and and we would love to see you on a weekend sometime soon. I don't have to kill a stuffed lion, do I? Uh, There's none of that. No lion killing. Nope. Turn up, put your mobile phone in a bag and see what happens. I mean, that's going to be hard for That Jeff. is terrifying, yeah. That, he finds that terrifying <laughs> on its own. Nathan, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. So what did you think? I very much enjoyed the conversation. I enjoy, enjoyed all three guests very much indeed. I think it's a difficult thing to talk about because there will be people who listen to that and s- say, yes, but toxic masculinity s- still is has a the toxicity. Thing. Yeah in it but um as as ben said you know you've got to be able to have these conversations simultaneously and it's good that we're having them and not leaving them to the piers morgans of this world it feels like it's a sort of beginning of a conversation doesn't it i mean it's not like it's different from some of the other episodes we've done and it's not we're not saying here's it's the you know, fix. A, a policy idea a fix this is all around us this is sort of in the culture Different cultures are are different, um, and and have this to a sort of you know, have these kind of issues facing men in particular to a greater or lesser extent. But I, I definitely felt um, listening to the uh, 
conversation and and having the conversation that it, it's it's right for us to to engage with this and actually some of the things that ben and nathan's organizations are doing are really really interesting you know taking people you know the fact that the probation service is referring people to nathan you know and he did say to us actually after we finished recording that the issue the, the privatization of some parts of the probation service is kind of has been quite problematic but but the fact that they're referring it does and the fingers on reoffending do show that this this is really really important stuff and it's precisely because of the effects of toxic masculinity or whatever you want to call it on our society and in particular on women in our society that we've got to have this conversation reasons to be cheerful with ed miliband and jeff lloyd Oh, we're in the outro. Oh, we're in the outro. We should mention that our first live show of 2020 on the 12th of March at King's Place in London, it was sold out, but I never quite understand how this happens. They've now managed to release some more tickets. So if you tried to uh, buy tickets to come along and see the show, but you weren't able to, you should be able to now. There is a link on how to find those tickets in the description of this episode. Um, Talking of selling out... Oh, I, I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. Um, I, I should mention that my wife is Definitely. performing at the Soho Theatre in London Definitely. from the 9th to the 21st of March with her five show. Enemies five, Closer. Yeah, five star show from last year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival it's called Edim- Enemies, Enemies Closer. It's it's very funny. Um, Enemies Closer. Uh, <laughs> um, what was the sequel? Yeah. You went last year. I, it was a different show last year. Um, for worse. It, it was called For Worse. Yes. <laughs> she's got a good title. She's got a little thing on these titles. I know, I know, but now she's feeling beholden to doing it for Edinburgh Show this year and she's not quite got there with the title. I'm sure yet. I'll get there. Yeah. You know, it's exactly the kind of thing I'm good at. Yeah, you've got exactly. a bit between your teeth. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's bawdy in parts. Between your teeth. No. The bit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it was last year's show was quite bawdy in parts. I was worried about Ed's innocent mind being corrupted, but you you enjoyed it. Was enjoy- quite bawdy actually. Yeah, but you enjoyed it, didn't you? I was I was a gog. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it more bawdy or less bawdy? I'd say it's marginally less bawdy. Right. Yes, but it's you know there's still plenty there for the uh, fans you? of bawdiness too. And yes, it is, it is. You know, her marriage I think is featured, but it's about life. Friendship. I don't know why I'm doing the. I'm definitely of- going to try and go. I'm definitely. I'm definitely. I'm like really into going. I'm, I, honestly, you should. I'm not just saying this because it's Sarah, but honestly, she's incredibly funny and she's got incredible poise and style. She's um, trained as a dancer. That's where that poise comes from. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, she's almost got as much poise and style as you. <laughs> Can you think of anybody with less poise than me? Me. <laughs> um, right. Should we do our? Um, Thank you kindly. Yes. I'd like to thank our guests, Iman Amrani, Ben Hurst and Nathan Roberts. Emma Caution produces our podcast with backup and research from Joel Pierce and Joe Kenyon. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Um, Ed Seed composed the music. James Deacon made the eye dance and the artwork was designed by Henry Cole. He's been Amanda Chairleg. He's been Jonathan Pillowcase. And these have been Reasons to be Cheerful. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.